Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study. I'm glad that you've joined us this evening. Uh, on Wednesday evenings, we've started a new series. We are looking at questions, really any question that you've ever had, any question that's ever come to mind that you've wanted a biblical answer for. Uh, if you will present that question, we're going to try and spend some time answering those questions. You can private message me those questions. You can text me those questions. Uh, you can comment on, on the comment section of this video, or you could call the church office and get those to me. Any question you have, anything you've ever wondered about, uh, if you'll get those to me, we'll, we'll spend some time answering those questions. Tonight is the first week, and our subject is a very timely subject, a very important subject, and really it is a needed discussion for us to have in the church. And so there's going to be one subject, but three questions uh, that we're going to work through on this subject. Here, here the questions are for this week. First one is this. What is God's view of homosexuality? What is the church's response? And then the question, can a practicing homosexual be saved? Or can a believer be a practicing homosexual? And so we come out of the gate with some very big questions uh, this week as we start. What is God's view of homosexuality? What is the church's response? And can a believer be a practicing homosexual? It's going to be a, a great study. Stay with me as we move uh, through our topic tonight. First thing is this, starting place is this, understand our answer must come from the Word of God. It must be grounded in, it must be based upon the Word of God, our Bible. Uh, be sure problems occur when we seek out other sources. And so there's, there's a lot of confusion about this topic. There's a lot of different ideas about this topic. Will problems occur when we defer to other sources or we seek out other sources? So understand, it's not going to be based upon our feelings. Sometimes we say, well, I, I believe this or I strongly feel this. It's not going to be based upon our feelings. It's not going to be based upon public opinion. And a lot of times we're driven in our belief set by, well, this is what the culture deems as right or what the culture holds as truth. Well, this is not going to be based upon public opinion. It's not going to be based upon the advice or the ideas of experts. And for sure on this subject, uh, the experts have spoken, and they've given their, their advice. Well, we're not going to go to their advice or to their ideas. Understand, we are seeking a biblical answer, and that's, that's the starting place tonight. We are seeking a biblical answer. Be sure, that is in all areas, and I, and I say that a lot, but that is in all areas. That is in all things. The Word of God is true. In fact, the Bible says the Word of God is His truth. Uh, the, the Word of God is the actual speech of our Creator. And so understand, because He is trustworthy, His Word is trustworthy. Because He is wise, in fact, He is infinitely wise, uh, His Word is His wisdom given to us. And so it's not going to be our opinion. It's not going to be the church opinion or the church stance. It's not going to be the, the belief set of a preacher, an individual preacher. It's not going to be a denominational statement. Uh, in all areas, we want to know what the Word of God has said. Now, let me just start, and I'm going to say this several times through our study tonight. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. 
We have the truth. We're not looking for the truth. We have the truth. And so we're going to get right to the point. We're going to cut to the chase, and we're going to see what God has said. We're going to see the truth uh, from his word. And then understand this. We can be confident in that. The truth will always stand. And so again, we're going to go to the word of God, and we're going to build our understanding based upon the truth of God's word. All right, so the first question that we start with tonight is what is God's view of homosexuality? Uh, What is God's view? Now, let me just say this, and and it's going to be a a good thing as we move through this. It is a clear answer. It is not ambiguous. It is not a floating answer. It is not an adapting and evolving answer. We're going to be able to see very clearly what God's view is. Sometimes, especially in our, in our day, we say, well, uh, things have changed. Times have changed. Well, these, these things or these thoughts are evolving. Well, understand it is God's truth. And so when we ask the question, what is God's view of homosexuality? Uh, we can say, here is his answer. Now, let me, let me just answer the question very quickly, and then we'll move through it. God calls homosexuality a sin. It is a sin. What is God's view? Very plainly, not ambiguous, it is a sin. Now stay with me. Let me let me explain this. God has a standard, and it is a perfect standard. And it is actually truly the best way to live. His standard is the best way to be blessed. It is the best way to be happy in your life. It is the best way to be safe in your life. It is the best way to be set aside unto Him or different. The Bible says we're to be different. We're not like this world. We're we're to be holy. Well, His way, His perfect standard is the way to be different, is to be holy. It's the way to be happy. It's the way to be safe. And it truly is the best way to live. Understand. God is not about rules for rules' sake. And sometimes we have that image of God, well, he's got the big rule book and he has set rules for us. He's he's not about rules, but rather he has ordained for us in his infinite wisdom, in his perfect holiness, and in his grace, the best way to live. It's his grace that he gives us the best way to live. Now, we ought to start saying that as believers. We ought to start saying that in the church. God's word, God's commands, God's standard, it is actually the best way to live. And and you want to have the best marriage? Go to his standard. You want to have the best finances? Go to his standard. Your actions, your words, your thoughts. If you want to have the best life, you actually go to the perfect standard that God has set. God tells us, and he gives us the best way to live. Again, that's a, that's a different mindset than saying, well, here's your rule book, and I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to make sure you do not break these, and keeping these rules, that's going to show your, your devotion to me. That's not how it is at all, but it's actually God giving, a, giving us the best way to live. Well, sin, uh, the Greek word for sin means to miss the mark. It is, it's a picture of an archer that would take an arrow 
and he would pull back the arrow and he would shoot at a target and the, the arrow would fall short of the target. It would very simply miss the target. It would be less than the target. Well, understand, sin is to miss God's perfect standard. It is to reject God's truth. It's a serious thing. It's saying, I don't accept his truth. And ultimately, sin is to reject God. And, and, and we sometimes make light of sin and say, well, it's just, it's just a natural response and I couldn't help that. Listen, sin is to reject God's truth. And ultimately, at the core level, it is to reject God. Well, understand, homosexuality is a sin. It is less than his best standard. It is less than how he has intended for us to live. And, and just like all sins, it is to deny the truth of God's word, and ultimately it is to reject God. Where does God stand? Homosexuality is a sin. Now let me back that up with Scripture. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says, And you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Now, the word for abomination that, that in the original language, uh, it, it means it riles disgust or it brings disgust or it brings hatred. It, it brings hatred. And so understand, this is a sin that God hates as he does all sin. This sin riles up his disgust. It is an abomination. Another verse. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. Detestable, again, is, is something that God detests or he hates. There's that word again. And so the truth of Scripture is it is a sin and God hates it. It riles up in him a a, a hatred for this sin. That's the Old Testament testimony. Now, as we move through this, I want to be sure and point out some things that, that people say. Some would say, well, that's an Old Testament teaching, that that's an, that's an old teaching and it doesn't transfer to the New Testament or it doesn't transfer to, to the New Testament application. And they would say, that yes, I see that. But that is a different age. That's not the age that we're in. And they'll say things well, like, doesn't it also in Leviticus forbid the eating of, of shellfish or, or certain other types of fish? And so, well, if you're going to eat shrimp, uh, then, then we must have to reevaluate this. And so they would try to say, well, these teachings, they're Old Testament teachings. Well, let me show you what the New Testament says. And there's many verses there as well. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Listen to the language. Degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts 
and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Uh, some, some other verses, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 8 through 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, there are some other places as well, but there it is listed in those verses that, that homosexuality is an act that is contrary, one of them says, to sound doctrine. This is what God has said. This is the Word of God. It is contrary to that. It is contrary to the will of God. And so the New Testament teaching as well is that this is a sin, and it is viewed as a sin before God. Now, continuing the discussion, some would say, well, isn't that just Paul? And if you look at those, those are letters from Paul, and evidently Paul had an issue with this, or Paul took issue with this. And so these are the words of Paul. And so, you know what? The Old Testament, it is a previous era. And now we have Paul, and that's the message of Paul. And that's not, that's not the teaching of, of Christ. And they would say, Jesus never spoke on this. And, I, and maybe you've heard folks say that I'm going to go with all that Jesus said on the matter. And he didn't say anything. Well, let, let me just answer that question as well. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is speaking of God's plan for marriage and God's plan for sexual relation. And this is, this is again, Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 19. Now listen to this. And he answered and said, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now he's quoting, he's quoting Genesis but, but it's Jesus bringing this into the New Testament, and, and it very clearly says male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man, masculine, shall leave his father, masculine, and mother, feminine, and be joined to his wife, feminine, feminine and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, there in, in Matthew, Jesus is saying this is God's plan for sexual relations. This is God's plan for, for marriage. Now, he doesn't go and say, well, God forbids this and this and this and that. He doesn't go into all those things, but he tells us very clearly what God's plan is. Now, let me, let me just say this. According to what Jesus has said, any sexual relation outside of the bonds of a marriage relationship are outside of God's plan and they are a sin. If it is outside of the bonds of marriage, it is a sin. If it is before the bond of marriage, it is a sin. If it is not a male and a female, it is a sin. And so understand, Jesus did speak on it. The New Testament does speak on it. The Old Testament does speak on it. And God has told us how he views homosexuality. And here's the deal. It is a sin. Be very sure and understand right here. It is not kind to, to not call what God has called a sin as not a sin. If God has called it a sin, it's not a kind thing to say, well, it's not a sin. It is not right. It is not correct to call what God has called a sin not a sin. The truth is, by calling this a sin, God in His grace 
is, is telling us uh, operating in any sin is hurtful to you and it's hurtful to others. Uh, operating in any sin is operating outside the will of God. We always say, I want to be in God's will and God, thy will be done. Direct me in your will. Operating in any sin is outside the will. Operating in any sin is less than God's best. Operating in any sin is a rebellion against God. It is to deny His word, and more than that, it is to reject God Himself. Homosexuality, how does God view it? It is a sin. Let me give you an example. Say I've got a three-year-old kid. I've got a four-year-old son or a four-year-old daughter. And there, there's a plate, and I've been over there cooking, and, I, and I've got this plate, and it, it is hot, it is hot, and I pull it out of the oven, and I take the things off of it, and I set it over there on the counter, and it, it is hot, uh, and if they touch it, it will burn them. If they touch it, it will hurt them, it'll injure them, and they start to make their way towards that hot plate. It would not be a kind thing to look the other way. It would not be a kind thing to say, you know, I, I don't want to hurt their feelings. They've had a tough day, and I know all the things this day held, and I don't want to upset them any further. It would not be a good thing. It would not be a kind thing to, to, to not address the hot plate. How does God view homosexuality? It is a sin. And I, and I want you to hear this today. It is a good thing that it's identified as a sin. It's not trying, God's not trying to restrain you. He's not trying to restrict you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to punish you and say, you know what, here's a bunch of religious duties and I know that you're inclined to do these things, but you have to do these duties to have some sort of religious relationship. No, this is God saying, you know what, these are the guardrails, these are the guides, and these activities, they're going to end in disaster, they're going to end in hurt and pain and dysfunction, and so it is a good thing that God says this is a sin. These things, they are sin. And so the first question, how does God view homosexuality? Here's the truth. It is a sin according to God Himself, stated in the Old Testament, reconfirmed in the New Testament, stated and talked about by Jesus Himself. It is a sin. That is a good thing that we arrive at that understanding. That's the first question. Second question is this. With that established, so what is the church's response? What is the church's response? And I'll just tell you, in several different ways, churches mess this up. And I, I think there's two different camps at least. And, and this camp over here, they're messing this up. And this camp over here, they're messing this up. And, and so, so let's see the answer to the question. So if it is a sin, this thing is a sin, what is the church's response? Now, understand what I'm getting ready to tell you is great news. It is great news. It is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. But here's the deal. Jesus came as the remedy for sin. Jesus came as the Savior for sinners. And Jesus came 
to set us free from sin. And so we have a gracious God. We have a loving God. We have a kind and merciful Savior. And and I want to tell you, for all sinners, sometimes we want to get camped out on these individual sins. For all sinners, the message of the gospel is God loves you and he loves me. And, And for God so loves the world. And I want you to be sure there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can, you can stop doing to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus comes for sinners and he comes as the redemption for sinners and he, and he pays the price for sin. And by faith in Jesus, we're redeemed. We are forgiven. The Bible says we are restored. We are renewed. One of, my, one of my favorite stories in Luke 15, he receives us back as if we'd never left. And that's the story of the prodigal son. He says, get a ring for him and, and restore him back. Let's celebrate. God is gracious. He receives sinners. He redeems sinners. He forgives. He restores sinners through Jesus Christ. And he receives them back like they never left. So what is the response of the church? Listen very carefully. What is the response of the church to homosexuality? First thing is this. It is to call sin a sin. And I see churches that they they miss this because you know what? This is going to hurt our attendance. You know what? This isn't our place to talk about. Or you know what? God will will convict and he'll lead this deal and we don't have to talk about it. The, The role of the church, the response of the church is to call sin a sin. Second response of the church is to then point to the Savior for sin, Jesus. To point to the Savior for sin, Jesus. What that means is when we start our little kids' classes, we talk about Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. We talk about Jesus who carries away the sin of the world. As we grow our kids into teenagers, we're talking about the truth of who Jesus is. Not, not some make-believe Jesus, but Jesus who dies for sin, who pays the penalty in our adult classes, in our sermons from our pulpits, in our Bible studies. We are pointing to the Savior for sin, Jesus. And we're not competing with the world's activities. We're not trying to do a bunch of good works. We're pointing to the Savior for sin, Jesus. And so the first response of the church is call sin a sin. The second response of the church is to point to the Savior for sin, Jesus. And then do not miss the third step. The third thing is this. Be gracious, loving, and kind in the process. And I I want you to be sure and hear that. What is the response of the church to sin and to sinners. It is to call what God has called a sin, a sin. And it is to over and over again, consistently and clearly point to the Savior for sin, Jesus. And it is to be gracious and loving and kind in the process. Just like there's a bunch of churches that don't want to call sin, sin for whatever reason. There are some churches that they want to hammer on sinners and they want to bang on sinners and they want to, they want to do the, the work of the Holy Spirit and convict of sin. Listen, the response of the church to any sin is to call sin a sin, point clearly and consistently to the Savior for sin, Jesus, and to be gracious and loving and kind 
all the way through the process. If you ask me, I'm the pastor of this church. Is a homosexual welcome at Calvary Baptist Church? Listen, you better believe it. If you ask me, will a homosexual be welcomed to Calvary Baptist Church? I want to tell you, if the church understands its purpose, yes, they will be. And you might say, well, aren't you mad at them? Aren't you disgusted at them? Aren't you dis displeased in them? Aren't you disappointed in them? And I would tell you my answer is this, no more than we are with ourselves or any other sinner. What's the response of the church? Listen very clearly. We call sin a sin and we do not waver. We point to the Savior for sin. His name is Jesus. That's the role of the church. And we always be gracious and loving and kind in the process. Last question tonight, and it's this. Hard, pretty in-depth question. Can a practicing homosexual be saved? And I think maybe that, that is, a, is a, not a good way to phrase that. Any person can be saved. All sinners, their hope is to be saved. But maybe a better, a better way to ask that is, is it possible for a believer, a saved person, to be a practicing homosexual? And I, and I hear this a lot. There's a lot of discussion on that. Is it possible for a believer in Jesus Christ to be a practicing homosexual? Now, I want you to listen. This is going to require some thought. Stay very close in this answer. Understand tonight, Christians do sin. Christians are sinners. Christians are sinners. Christians need a Savior. That's how we became Christians. That's why we are followers of Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I sin. I need a Savior for sin. Listen, Christians need a Savior. We sin. We, we do sin. However, we are in the process that's called sanctification. We're, we're justified when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're in the process now as, as believers walking with Christ of being sanctified. Now, all that means is we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It, it, as we walk with Christ, we're becoming more like Christ. As we spend time in His Word, we're becoming more like Christ. As we're led by the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, we're becoming more like Christ. And so as a believer, we're in the process of sanctification. And, and so the, the question is, can a saved person, a believer, then be a practicing homosexual? Now, to understand the question, I think we could do something to make you set it on better terms. Instead of practicing homosexual, maybe it would be more understandable, more, more pertinent for us, if we took out practicing homosexual and added any sin. Can a saved person be a practicing gossip? Oh, I don't, I don't like that. Can a, can a saved person be a practicing liar or glutton or, or drunkard? Pick your sin. Can a, can a saved person be a practicing sinner, homosexual, Add, add whatever sin you want right there. Now, let me, let me answer that. If you feel no conviction over sin, and if you're willing to defiantly operate in sin, and again, you can choose your sin, if you can begin to explain away 
any sin. Well, let me tell you why this is okay. And let me tell you how I was made. And let me tell you about the environment that produced this. And let me tell you about the parents I had. And let me tell you about the situation I was in when I did it. If you can begin to explain away any sin and defiantly operate in sin, let me tell you this. You better check your heart. You better evaluate your heart. But I want you to hear this. But I can't see your heart. In fact, nobody can see your heart. God can see your heart. I am not the righteous judge. The Bible says very clearly Jesus is the righteous judge. You see, I judge and I have, I have different, uh, different thoughts when I judge you. I, I have different perceptions when I judge you. I, I carry baggage uh, into to my judgment of you. I have prejudice when I judge you. I'm not the righteous judge. Jesus is. I'm not the one that sees hearts. God is. And so listen, if you're asking me, I would be careful of any person who is determined to say, you know what, they by this thing are not saved, not a follower of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand, and I want you to hear me at the same time, if you feel no conviction over sin, if you have no remorse over sin, there's a good likelihood you're probably not saved. But here's the deal. I can't tell if you're convicted over sin. That's not my ability. In fact, the Bible says that's not my place. I'm glad I can't, but I think it would be very interesting if we could, if we could see the hearts of men. And I guarantee you there's some people that have us fooled and they got all this stuff marched down and they're doing all these things and their public persona is one way. And if we could see their hearts, we'd probably shiver. And I want to tell you, there's some other folks that they're, they're caught in sin and they're tangled up in sin. And yes, maybe they're in a, a season of sin. But if we could see their heart somewhere, they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they've gotten away from His Word and they've opened into some sort of rebellion. But if we could see people's heart, I think we'd be astounded. You know what? It, it's not my place or any other place, but person's place to make that distinction. There is a question to ask, though, and there's a person to ask it of. And the question is this. Am I being more like Christ? You know what? Maybe we ought not ask, can a practicing homosexual be saved? You know what? If they don't have a conviction of sin, I don't think they are. But you know what? I don't know if they're convicted of sin or not. I don't know what it's like when they sleep in their bed at night. I don't know what's in their heart. I don't know what kind of anguish they're deadening to, to operate in that sin. But you know what? There is a question, and that is this. Am I being more like Christ? And you know what? If I am, there's no room for sin in my life. If, if, there, if I am, you know what? There can't be an acceptance of sin in my life. And you know what? It is a process of sanctification. And so maybe the question is, am I being more like Christ, becoming, growing, acting more like my Savior? Jesus Christ. And so for that third question, I don't, I don't want you to think I don't have an answer. I do have an answer. My answer is this. It is not my place to say, and it is not your place to say, but it is wise to ask the question, am I becoming more like Jesus Christ? Let me, let me end by saying this, and I, 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 I'm just going to be very clear right here, I hope. The good news is this. God is gracious to sinners. God is so gracious to sinners 
The Bible says that He is abundant in His grace. He is abundant in His grace. It is new every morning. It does not run out. There's not, there's not a limit to His grace. And I want to tell you, His grace is greater, is more than your greatest sin. And as you're hearing this tonight, maybe, maybe you've gotten good at pushing down what you did and your sin, but I want to tell you your biggest sin, God's grace is bigger than your biggest sin. And His grace is offered to you and if we will confess our sin, He forgives us of that sin. He removes that sin from us. And I want to tell you the better news than that. He's forgiving us. His best still exists. And for a sinner such as I, if we'll turn to Him and we'll repent, the best still exists. And His perfect standard still exists. And the best way to live still exists. And it's not gone. And it's not ruined because of my past sin. The best still exists. And there is hope moving forward for a sinner, not just in heaven, but right now. There is hope for you and I as sinners. The best still exists. He does redeem. He does restore. He does renew. God's grace is new and abundant every single day. When I look at this, I, I hate to single out any sin. But I'm going to tell you what, when I look at this, I see my sin. And you know what? I understand what a gracious, gracious Savior we have. If you're here, if you're listening, and you're struggling in sin, let me tell you two responses. First off, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to tell you the guilt of your sin, the weight of your sin you no longer have to carry it past right now. And if you'll turn from that sin, the step is repentance. And if you'll trust Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you, He'll renew you, He'll restore you. The Bible says you will be saved. And so if you're listening tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, that hope stands right now. And then maybe if you're listening tonight and you are a believer and you, you've gotten caught up in sin and you've rebelled in sin and you've maybe gotten away and you've turned to sin. You know what? Your remedy is just the same as it always was. You turn from that sin. You repent. You confess that sin and He removes it from you. And you walk with Jesus Christ. There is hope for sinners because there is grace in Jesus. What an awesome Savior. What an awesome gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come tonight and I'm thankful for your grace and I'm thankful for your kindness and I'm thankful, Lord, for the truth of your word that you tell us what will hurt us. You tell us what's not in your standard. You tell us what will bring dysfunction and you do not mince words. You tell us it's a sin. You detest it. You hate it. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've called sin. Lord, I pray right now for us as we hear this Bible study that we would hate sin the way you do that we wouldn't tolerate sin. We would turn from sin. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would empower us to leave it. Lord, I pray for some that haven't trusted you. I pray that in this truth tonight, that they would turn to you and they'd find peace and forgiveness in their Savior, Jesus. Lord, I come and I praise you, my gracious Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.